College Church, I would invite you to remain standing. We come now to our scripture reading for Pastor Moody's sermon coming from Isaiah chapter 40. It's going to be focusing in on verses 6 and 8, but I'm going to read for us verses 1 through 8 from Isaiah chapter 40. Church family, hear God's word. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry, and I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. This is God's word. Amen. You may be seated. Let us pray. Our Lord God, we uh, do thank you for uh, this Father's Day. We thank you for all uh, the opportunity as well as challenge that gives us. As we come now to the Bible, we pray, Lord, that it would do its work, uh, that by your Spirit you would convict, uh, challenge, encourage. And we pray most of all, our Lord God, that you would be glorified, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy Father's Day, or as uh, we dads like to put it, Happy Father's Week. A good book you might like to get the dad in your life for next year is, I think it's out of print, it's called The Book of Heroic Failures. And in this book, uh, it describes various real-life true stories of people who have tried over and over again and in a, in a whimsical and rather delightful way kept on failing. For instance, there's one description of a, of a bank robber who is the most unsuccessful bank robber ever. Keeps on trying to rob a bank and every time he does, he gets arrested. One of these real-life stories is of um, uh, a a conference of uh, uh, clairvoyance. It's a story of the most unsuccessful clairvoyant ever. Uh, Clairvoyance, of course, are those who claim to be able to magically predict the future. And in this conference of clairvoyance that took place in the prestigious Sheraton Hotel in 1978 in Paris in France, there was a gathering of all kinds of palm readers and tarot card readers and tea leaf readers and all the rest 
And after this uh, conference took place at the Sheraton Hotel in 1978 in Paris, there was a press conference, and one reporter put up his hand and asked one of the clairvoyants this, will you be having a conference next year? To which the clairvoyant memorably replied, we don't know yet. I suppose few of us here this morning will be tempted to trust clairvoyance and all of that, but there are many other options that present themselves to us for ultimate trust. And what happens as the centrality of God dissipates from our mind and from the society in which we live is we lean into other ultimate trusts. And as we go through this uh, amazing chapter 40 in the book of Isaiah, we come to these verses where in Isaiah, having been commissioned uh, by God with a new message of comfort, which as we've seen is, isn't simply sentimentality or empathy, but is a, is a message that is intended to give strength and courage to God's people, irrespective of the circumstances that they were facing, as they had just been told they're about to go into exile, and yet God comes and says, comfort, it's a new message given to the prophet Isaiah, and we come now to the second of three voices that are commissioned by God, three heralds, uh, three aspects of the message that God gave to the prophet Isaiah. And this second one in verses uh, six to eight could be summarized something like as follows. Comfort comes when the Spirit of God withers away all reliance on people so that we might trust in God. In other words, these verses that we just had read out about the grass fading and all people being flesh and are not simply about our own human mortality. They're about something deeper, bigger, more important, more transformative, more liberating, more comforting, more strengthening, more encouraging. They're telling us that this comfort comes when the Spirit of God does the work of the Spirit of God, which is to wither away all other merely human ultimate reliances so that we trust in God's word which is ultimately reliable you say well why does that matter well as we've seen the reason why we're spending this time in chapter 40 is there is a great need for renewed comfort among God's people in our society and I've given various evidences of this already, but here are a couple of new statistics that I've discovered just the last week or so. Since 2000, the levels of self-attested depression in American society have increased by 57%. Just think about that. 57%. 
since the year 2000, there's been a 57% increase in the number of people self-diagnosing some kind of depression. By the same token, since 2000, the level of suicide has increased by a third in American society. Now, lots of stories we could tell about why that would be. One of the most prominent is because of COVID and we've been isolated from each other and all the rest. But these statistics go back pre-COVID. So that's not a susceptible analysis. Another story that we could tell is about technology and the technological impact of constantly being looking at cell phones and social media. And, and I, suppose, I suppose, I suspect, indubitably, that has some relation to the way that we feel about ourselves. So we're constantly being exposed to the performative that we're all performing on a stage of social media and feeling judged by others or comparing ourselves to others. It's likely to have an impact on how we feel about ourselves and the level to which we have comfort. Another story we could tell is about the sociological and the tendency that we have these days that we've moved past an individualistic merely society to a tribal society whereby we define ourselves by, by red states or blue states. We define ourselves by our identities in one way or another where this kind of identity or that kind of identity would become tribally defined rather than individualistically defined and that's leading to warring factions within our society increased divisiveness that of course makes it harder to feel comfort these are susceptible and um, these are analysis that are susceptible to credibility but there's a more profound reason which is ultimately when the presence of God and his beauty and his power and his reality, his significance recedes, diminishes. Society, individuals, people must look around for other ultimate reliances, trusts. And what we're discovering is that they fade. And so here there is an encouraging word. Comfort comes and the Spirit of God shows us that all other merely human reliances will fade and therefore calls us to trust in God's Word. We, this is a, of course, there's a challenge to that too, as we will go through it this morning. We, the task in front of us is not only to wither away our human reliances, but to instead put our trust in God's Word. And those of us who've been awake in terms of the reliability of Scripture and the credibility of the Gospel realize there are any number of critics of the reliability of the Bible and the truth of the Gospel these days. And yet, we're being called to trust God's Word. And the task before us, therefore, this morning is not only to have the work of the Spirit wither away the trust in the merely human, but instead to find a reliable landing place in Scripture, in the Bible, in God's Word, in the Gospel, 
How are we going to do this? Well, let's look at how the prophet does it for us in the Bible. Verse 6, he begins like this. A voice says, cry. And I say, what shall I cry? Now, I've just mentioned to you that this is the second of three voices. So these are aspects of the message of comfort that come out from the gospel. That is the gospel of forgiveness that he declared in verse 2. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, cry to her, warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned. She's received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. This forgiveness that is at the heart of the gospel message. And then come these three voices. And the first voice we saw last week is uh, the voice that is crying in the wilderness. That is fulfilled in the message of John the Baptist who points to Jesus, Jesus in whom rests the glory of God. And that's a message of fundamental comfort because the king comes, the saving king, in Jesus the Christ. And now we come to this second aspect of the message that has been given to Isaiah to the prophet. A voice says, and I said, what shall I cry? This is the message that he's given. Second half of verse 6, all flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. All flesh, the people, are grass, they fade, they wither. But as I said, this is not merely about the mortality of the human condition that one day, unless Jesus returns, we're all going to die. There's a deeper, bigger, more encouraging, more comforting message here. And it's revealed by the specific choice of two key words that are given to the prophet as he is to preach. The first is the word translated beauty in the second half of verse 6. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. That word beauty is the word that is usually translated by faithfulness, constancy, reliability, love in a faithful vow kind of love. It is the Hebrew word chesed, which is used in the Bible, the special covenant faithfulness of God that you can rely upon him. So what the prophet has been shown here is that the chesed of the flower of the field, that is of people, all flesh, is not reliable. That whereas God does have faithful chesed, covenant faithfulness, when you look around at the flowers of the field, and in his comparison, therefore, he's telling us to look around at people, the human, it's not reliable. It fades. Their chesed, you cannot take to the bank. You cannot trust. You cannot rely upon In other words, of course, don't put your trust there. 
It's been the, the key message of the prophet Isaiah right since the beginning in his book, uh, right the way along the, the grain of the, of, of, the, of the prophet of Isaiah. There is a constant theme which is trust in God and his word, trust in God and his word. Don't trust in Babylon. Don't trust in Egypt. Don't trust those political empires. Don't tr- put your trust there for all people are merely their chesed will wither. Their faithfulness is not really faithful. Their love is not sufficiently reliable for you to put your ultimate trust in. That's the first word that uh, reveals that he's talking about something bigger than merely human mortality. The second word is the word in verse 7 when he says this. So he says, the grass withers, the flower fades... When the breath of the Lord blows on it. When? When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The breath of the Lord. The word breath there translates the word that is often translated by spirit. And so as uh, Martin Luther in his lectures on this uh, uh, interprets it he says in his mind the word ruach here the word for spirit or breath is designed by God as he speaks to his prophet to point us to ultimately the fulfillment of this which is the work of the spirit to bring conviction as Jesus describes the work of the spirit this other comforter who will come to convict the world of sin and guilt and and, 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 and a judgment to come The breath of the Lord breathes on this folly of trusting in human chesed to reveal it as something that's going to wither and isn't really reliable. Charles Spurgeon, his preaching on this text, says the same thing. What has been taught here, he says, is that the Spirit of God has the task of withering away all human reliance so that what might be wrought in us is by the sowing of God's, God's seed, his word. There must be, in the old Puritan analogy, a plowing of the harvest field of the human heart so that the seed of God's word goes down deep. Also putting it this morning, comfort comes, this strong courage comes into our lives when the Spirit of God does the work of the Spirit of God to wither away all merely human ultimate reliances to put our trust in God and his word. Now, my friends, how important that is today, whether you're a dad or a mom, a son, an uncle, an aunt, We need to regain a God-centered trust in God and his word. Our ultimate trust is not in community. All flesh is grass. In fact, a community that builds itself upon the trustworthiness of community is as reliable as the Tower of Babel. 
it will fail. Our trust is not upon a heroic figure. (laughs) The book of heroic failures, if you get that, will teach you that pretty quickly. Our trust is not upon the um, aggrandizement of the self in the celebrity and their ideal life that we read about or we want to live. They will fade. They will. We've still heard of Michael Jackson, I suppose, though he died some time ago. But if you go back uh, 30, 40, 50 years and you read up who are the celebrities of the time, we have no idea who they are. And yet countless thousands of people shaped their lives over the te- out of the template of the way they lived, even though now they're gone. Our trust is not in politics either. It is part of the diagnosis of the diminishing of the significance of the substance of the presence of God and reality in the world today that instead people are putting their trust in communities and people and celebrities and even in politics. Listen, politics has its place. And as Paul tells Timothy, we are to pray for those in authority that, that, that we might live quiet lives of order so the gospel would make progress. But if you think a politician or a political allegiance of whatever kind has said. You're in for a very painful, rude awakening. Only in God and His Word. You say, well, fine. So I see now that this passage is, uh, is teaching us this. And as I say, it goes on, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So I understand that. But how can I believe it, especially today when there's been so much criticism of Scripture and so much criticism of the gospel? And, and I live in a contemporary global world where I'm aware of all this. And there are so many other competing components Well, that present themselves to me as ultimately significant and I I feel the tug of them on a daily basis. How can I put myself back in a position of trusting God's word, whether intellectually, emotionally, or ultimately then spiritually? And of course, then there are two parts to that. One is the withering away by the work of the Spirit. And the other is the renewed trust in God's word. It is the work of the Spirit. Our vision statement as a church is the God-centered gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed in us as a church and through us to the world by the transforming power of the Spirit. It is the Spirit's work to open our eyes to the reality that all flesh is grass, to free us from 
the codependency to put our trust in what is reliable. I, when I was growing up, like probably many of you, I read the uh, Narnia books, and they were read to me when I was a child by my, my father, my mother, my parents, and we've done the same to our children. We've read the Narnia books, and one of the Narnia books that has been made into a movie is called The uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and uh, a theme there in that story is of Eustace, who is... <laughs> needing to be transformed. He comes in the story uh, jealous, bitter, envious, and then in the story his internal spiritual, psychological heart bitterness and envy and greed is magically transformed to be the external representation of what was going on internally. He literally becomes a dragon with the dragonish thoughts now meaning he's become a dragon. And for a moment, he's pleased by the power that he has as a dragon. But pretty soon he realizes that now he is a dragon. He's distant from any kind of fellowship with any kind of friends. And now he realizes he cannot journey with them anymore. He's stuck on this island. He's going to spend his life alone, surrounded by gold and treasure, but unable to enjoy it because he's a dragon alone. And as I say, this brilliant story of C.S. Lewis's has also been made into a movie, but it's fascinating to compare the difference between the movie and the book at this key moment when Eustace, by the work of Aslan, the savior figure, the Christ figure in the story, becomes reborn as the real Eustace as he was meant to be and it removes his, no longer is a dragon in, in, in the movie version. In some sort of magical incantation, Eustace is quickly and effortlessly transformed back into a human and as the image of regeneration, becoming alive again in the story. Just like it happens like that. But in the book, Eustace first tries to take the skin off himself and he can't, he peels off one layer of dragonish hide, skin, and he realizes there's another layer underneath and he tries again and there's another layer of dragonish thoughts envious thoughts, greedy thoughts, and he becomes desperate. He cannot heal himself. And he turns to Aslan for help. And Aslan with his claws dives deep into the dragonish skin and tears them off. So painful was it Lewis writes that Eustace almost felt he was going to die. The Spirit of Christ, when the breath of the Lord blows, the grass withers, the flower fades. I pray that the Spirit would do that in your life this, this, this morning. 
that you would realize in you that your ultimate dependency cannot be upon any kind of celebrity, people, politics, or anything else. That you'll be convinced by the Spirit of your need for, for God and His Word. You say, all right, but what about God and His Word? I've heard all these criticisms of the Bible. I'm not an ignorant person. I've been on YouTube and I've watched lectures. I've heard that the Bible has been criticized time and time again. Listen, look, I've read all that stuff. Not all of it, but a lot of it. I've thought about that. I could, I could cite to you, quote to you, the original critical thought that began in the 18th century, the 19th century, the, 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 the narrative of biblical eclipse that a Yale scholar described. I, I could tell you about the famous paper that was written in the 19, early 1940s that has shaped much of that critical thought about God's word and the, and, and, and the scriptures and how they point to the gospel, as First Peter says, as he quotes from this passage, this word of God is the gospel that was preached to you. I, I could describe those critical figures and those names and you Likely enough, many of you would not have heard of them. Or if you had, you would have forgotten them before I told you them. The surest proof of the reliability of the Scriptures is that the Bible has sustained, and in this case, effortlessly, so much criticism. Did you know that Time magazine, when it was surveying the events of the previous millennium and its historic issue in 2000, said that the printing of the Gutenberg Bible was the most historic event of the previous 1,000 years? The word of our God is reliable. It's probably an apocryphal piece of story, but the, the, the story is that at some, some place in, in England, under some bridge, there was a whole series of graffiti being scrawled on the bridge. And in one place, uh, uh, there was a little bit of graffiti that, said, God is dead, and underneath uh, the famous quotation was written the name Nietzsche. God is dead, Nietzsche. And then underneath, someone else had scrawled, Nietzsche is dead, God. <laughs> and that's basically what he's saying. Cottage church, would we be the kind of church that at home, as we open the Bible with our families, when we teach, when we go through the day and we're feeling desperate and we turn for some kind of solace, that we would turn not to like the social media stream, the latest thing that the latest celebrity is saying, but instead turn to the scriptures, to the word of our God, 
that will be an anchor in the storm, a foundation to build a life, a message for the world so that once again those who come to faith in Christ would have the comfort, the strength, the courage, and yes, the salvation. Comfort comes when the Spirit of God tears down all other human reliances and causes us to rely on God and His Word. Let us pray. Our Lord God, we um, thank you for the work of the Spirit in this regard and we pray that your Spirit would uh, blow among us this morning. Would you, uh, Spirit of the living God, tear off that uh, dragonish skin Seems a painful thought, Lord, and yet it is necessary. Would you ask the Lord to come and do his work in your life to cut away from you all other human reliances? We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you breathed out the word. Help us, Lord, to be a people who believe your word and preach your word. Live by it. Share it. Trust your word. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.